Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast from Scott Orner Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Brian Sturz. Brian and I have been friends for 20 years. He is a financial planner, investment guru. And today, we're going to talk about personal finance for founders. I get this question all the time from founders. Uh, and, you know, I don't actually know what to do on this. So that we brought in the expert, Brian Sturz, and he can tell us how founders should plan for their personal finances. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Scott. Happy to be here. It's been uh, we, we've been having these conversations for twenty years. Um, this could be a very, very long day of, of talking if you get us going. Very long, but exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so maybe tell everyone where you are. Brian uh, just graduated from UCLA MBA, probably what a year ago or something, and yeah. now he's at another firm. And just give your kind of quick professional background and where you are today. Sure, sure. So Scott and I went to Berkeley together. Uh, I worked on the derivatives trading floor coming out of Berkeley. Uh, after that, I worked uh, at a firm doing institutional consulting, uh, where I led the fixed income research group and allocated uh, fixed income investments for public pensions. I left that to join a firm back in Los Angeles as a member of our investment committee, uh, managing about $500 million when I joined the firm and about uh, $1.5 billion when I left to go back to business school. After doing some investment banking during business school, I joined up with the firm where I'm at now, where I've served in a similar role as a member of the investment committee overseeing stocks and bonds and alternative investments, as well as dealing with the book of business and a bunch of uh, you know founders and uh, very interesting entrepreneurial yeah. clients. And the LA, you're based in LA, but you come, you're actually in San Francisco right now, you come up all the time, but like the LA tech scene is blowing up. So you've been, you've been actually started managing a lot of money for tech founders in LA. We've had some informal conversations. Maybe talk about the the LA scene there a little bit and what the founders down there are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So the LA market is it's insane. I live in Venice. I'm I'm right in the middle of it, uh, and it's really great to see. I'm born and raised in LA, so to watch this transformation has been very very cool. Um, but there's you know there there's uh, kind of like San Francisco. There's the the big dollar companies, right? There's a there's a huge YouTube campus, huge Google campus. Uh, certainly Facebook campus, uh, Snapchat is everywhere all over Venice. They own probably a quarter of it. It seems go Snapchat, Snapchat's uh, a great company. Know a lot of people there. Um, it's a great company. And then there is a a great startup scene. So there is, there's a a ton of accelerators, uh, and incubators and, uh, there's a real ecosystem being built because we're starting to get to the next iteration of, Founders, where the first ones have now had their liquidity events, uh, now they're turning around looking to be angels and investors uh, themselves. And so the area is really starting to feed on itself. It's really yeah. cool to watch. That is like the ultimate, that's when it kicks into high gear. It's like I've been watching LA for 10, I used to go down there when I was at Lighthouse all the time. And there's always be a lot of good companies, but the angel network, there wasn't a ton of money floating around. So like the, the founders had to work a lot harder to raise money down there. Yeah. And of course, they'd hit the Sand Hill firms as well. But there's something magical about, you know, now there's other, there's actual VCs based in Santa yep. Monica yep. and now the angel network, which is the really important money is, is flowing because people have made money so they can, they can back the next, the next generation. That's, that is super exciting. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, you know, it's cool where, you know, maybe five years ago, seven years ago, it was San Francisco based VC firms or, or even, you know, growth equity firms maybe had an office in Los Angeles, but now the money's in Los Angeles yeah. and, and they're running those decisions and, and they're in, you know, playing with all the great firms. So yeah. it's, it's really cool to see. Uh, and why not? Uh. Like we have, Beautiful beaches, a great town. Sure, there's traffic, but uh, 
you know, we'll take the well, weather. It's also just the media connection. Like so many internet companies are media connections these days. It's like, Without a doubt. it makes so much sense. Yeah. So, it's, so today we're going to talk about what founders should do with their personal finances. So maybe, and, and maybe we break this up. I don't know. You tell me, but the, it seems to me there's the kind of startup founders who are doing their first time, you know, not tons of money, probably not making a lot of money in salary. Right. But have big hopes for the future. What do right. they do? And then the people who are, you know, at the late stage firm that's kicking butt, they know their options are in the money. And how do they plan for both liquidation and what do they do with their money after? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would actually break it down into probably three categories of, of you know, founders slash entrepreneurs slash uh, doing well at a great company. There yeah. is the, there's the startup founder. Uh, their, their company has traction, they're, they're growing their thing, but certainly no liquidity, maybe not a, a lot of cash flow coming in, certainly for the early tech guys. Uh, the, the next level I would say is, you know, people that are very early at, you know, the Snapchats of the world, uh, the Ubers, uh, all these yeah. guys, um, liquidity events are few and far between for these big guys these days, you know, the slowdown, the IPO market. So that's a different sort of animal. And then there's the, you know, uh, intermediary sort of founder things going well, maybe they're at their later stage fundraising or they're going to be outright acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very different strategies kind of for, for all three. But yeah, I, are, I love that breakdown. Let's, let's tackle it, man. All right, let's do it. So do founder, it. early stage, not making a big salary, no, no liquidity on their options. This is Series A, Seed Series A, Series B kind of founder. Series A. And when I say founder, I also mean like the early management team. It's just founder shorthand, but like... The early management team with significant equity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So these guys, uh, I love starting to work with with these guys. Um, I mean, just as a side note, I love what I do. I love the markets. I'm a stock guy. I'm a bond guy. I wake up I, at five o'clock in the morning. I love seeing what the futures are doing, what the ten year treasury is doing. Scott and I have spent more hours than than we'd care to admit talking about where gold prices are going amidst you know a, a night at bar none or something there's some unit. really dorky conversations that you it's probably good you're not a, a part of audience but but the, the, that's the way that, that i think about things right but i love working with the entrepreneurs because you're you're really building businesses you're really building companies you provide you know you're doing real work as i like to say and so, you know, it's my job uh, really to kind of look out for all of these things that, that maybe aren't kind of uh, on your minds. And the reason that comes up uh, thinking about the early founding kind of guys is, you know, you, you don't quite uh, they don't tend to see these things on the horizon quite yet. They're they're looking at this thing down the road. The money's not quite tangible. You don't know if it's going to be there. They're also just working their ass off, right? Building the company, so it's like there's only some hours in a day. But that's why I think why planning ahead and, and working with someone like you is huge because you do a lot of the work for them. You help them focus on the few things they need to plan for, yeah. And then get back to building their business because no. at the end of the day, the business isn't successful. None of the stuff matters because they won't make you know have a big outcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's uh, there's a few things you know there. At this stage, you're kind of looking at the at the basic blocking and tackling, right? You need to, from a financial planning standpoint, you need to look at getting yourself a trust. You know, get your assets in order. Um, you know, you may have accounts here and account there and things going in different places. Get that consolidated. Make it as easy as you can for yourself uh, for everything to be in kind of one place. Um, What's the trust component of that? Yeah. So, you know, getting yourself a trust 
this is going to be the building blocks of you know how you're going to hold your company when, if, and when a liquidity event comes. Uh, this is going to be the entity that you know all of your cash comes into, and this is providing protection for you so that it's it's in an entity outside of of just yourself. So it's like a legal entity that is like, is Correct. it for tax planning or what's kind of the, you know, I understand the trust will hold the shares, yeah. right? Like yeah. of, the, of the company that you've started yeah. and maybe some of your other assets, maybe your cash or your house or something like that. But like, what's kind of the purpose of that trust? Yeah. So a lot of it is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you can structure them different ways, but some of it is, is protection for, you know, something going after, you know, yourself or your entity. Um, some of it is for eventual tax planning and there's different trusts that you're going to want to get to, which at this point it, it's, uh, something to, to be considered. I, I hesitate because if you have a family, there's one way you're going to structure these things. If it's just yourself, you know, young man, young woman doing your thing, the family component may not be on your mind. Uh, but this is going to be something that's going to evolve. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to you and they and they're in this situation, you will help them pick the right legal structure for their trust, and you know, kind of take everything in, in consideration. And- right, right. So I guess sort of taking a, a step back, maybe actually just giving a, a background of you know, I work at, at an independent uh, wealth management firm, and there, what that means is I'm not affi- we're not affiliated with a bank. We don't sell our own products. We don't sell you know trade from our own balance sheet. Uh, we're not trying to get to the founders of the company to lead the IPO down the road. We just manage money for people. And so we're trying to make sure that all of your financial parts are in the right places, regardless of if that's a thing for us uh, or not. So, you know, we're not outright giving trust uh, advice, but we can say this is how it's best structured from our cl- our clients that do this. These are the best sort of tax structures that we've seen to get where you're going to go. And then either you'll find a trust and estate attorney or a CPA or, you know, we certainly spend a lot of time talking to them all day long and can, you know, put you in touch with the ones that we really trust. And from that standpoint, we're trying to be your trusted financial advisor. So you don't have the kind of inherent conflicts that an investment banker might have. So you're actually like looking out for the for the welfare of the the CEO and the founding team and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I came up through, as I said, the investment ranks on the trading floor and, and managing money, picking stocks and bonds, and then working with people. You know, the, the investment banks and these things, they, you know, they do a good job. They're smart people without a doubt. But, uh, you know, I've never been in a position where I sell a product, right? I've never been told we have this IPO coming, you know, get your clients to buy this thing or to fill up this fund or to do that sort of a thing. And, you know, there is that at these banks and the potential for that. And not to say that they're all bad or anything like that, but, you know, it's something that someone has to consider. So the reason we like our model is that we can say to you, the only reason we're going to look to do something uh, in your portfolios or et cetera is in your best interest. Yeah. There's literally no other reason why we would do yeah, it. Yeah, that's really powerful. And as someone who worked at an investment bank, I've definitely been on the receiving end of those research calls where they're basically saying like time for to get all your clients to buy this crummy stock. And they don't say that explicitly, but there's a lot of pressure to get someone to buy enough of the stock so that the company can go public so the bank can get the fees and the client's happy. So I've totally seen that. It happens. Working with independent is is very nice. All they worry about is what's good for you. So so going back to our kind of uh, early founder, 
not a lot of cash, so they would look to get a trust. Yeah, put so in place. trust trust point one, uh, without a doubt. Uh, point two, I think, is is simplify your financial life. So uh, the investments, the things that you do have, you know, get them all in one place. Get yourself to a you know a, a lower cost custodian like a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade. And, and start doing those right things. Uh, make sure you have enough you know, liquidity uh, and things not in, let's say, the market uh, generally so that you have the money to ride out you know, the wave that you're already on. You know, as the founder, you guys are going through, people think the market's crazy. You guys, day in, day out, is way crazier than anything the S&P 500 is going to do. Uh, so you don't want to uh, be worrying about that stuff. So making sure you have that money lined up uh, and be realistic with that is is big. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say the blocking tackling is if you're going to be invested, let's say you have retirement accounts, um, you know, get yourself diversified. Do the boring stuff uh, because that's what you're going to do. You're going to start taking advantage of compounding of returns, dividends being paid to you. Uh, and in a way where, you know, you're so focused on your business, you don't need to spend time, you know, figuring out what were Apple's earnings and yeah. losing sleep yeah. over some stock that ultimately is, you know, it's, it's taking away from what you do best, which is creating a company and creating yeah. value. Yeah. Stay diversified, low cost. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. You know, it's, there's maybe more to it, but big picture, you know, keep, you want your eye on the ball and, yeah. then, you know, I don't think you want to be worrying about those things as cool. much. So then the next kind of group you outlined was someone who's at a big successful company like an Uber that maybe doesn't have a lot of liquidity right now. Right. Snapchat. What, what should they be doing? Okay. So from, uh, from and this a, is like the whole employee base really, because people absolutely. who are early employees at those companies, God bless them are going to make millions and millions of dollars. Right. And they, you know, God bless them. They took the risk and they jumped on the bandwagon early and they're building a great company. So, this is not just for the founding team. This is for everybody. Like, what should those folks be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully when they're at the earlier stage of those things, uh, they really surrounded themselves with a good team. And, you know, they found that trusted advisor. They found that right, either trust and state attorney or uh, accountant. So they're doing, you know, good things along the way. There's things that hopefully along the way with, you know, how you're reporting your options. What are you paying, you know, in taxes? Other are you... You know, paying taxes on these options as you got them uh, early, so you're paying you know taxes on a, a lower basis, or if you've waited. So, hopefully, you've been doing those things along the way uh, with your trusted team. But now you've gotten to that place, right? Now you're you're on this unicorn list. Things are big. Well, now you're going to start coming up in real problems, and what we consider real problems <laughs> are, are tax problems. So, you know, there's there's the uh, state tax uh, gift exclusion, which is $5.45 million per person. Um, anything you're going to have above that to pass along is going to go to the government as of now at 40%. Is this in case you die? In case you die. Okay. Okay. So this is like basic, basic stuff. But if you have a family and you know, you're know you starting to think about these things, um, a lot of this is, is getting these things out of the tax system. Mm-hmm. So there's ways to gift these things to different parts, you know, different members of your family, uh, taking, you know, things basically just out of your estate and putting them in, in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the trust and estate side of things. And that can have tax ramifications. Uh, I certainly don't want to over speak about these things on a podcast, but I will let you know that when you speak with, with the trust and estate training, there's a lot of things they can do to try to get you ahead of uh, the curve from mm-hmm. that's a protection standpoint. Mm-hmm. 
same thing on the uh, tax side of things. So when you're, as I said, reporting as income, these options, uh, you want to be minimizing these taxes. Um, so working with your CPA along the way is, is going to be huge. So meaning like you should do an early exercise if you know it's going to be in the money. Exactly. Maybe kind of explain the positive and negatives of early exercise. Sure, sure. So early exercise, um, you know, the, the early founders will know this as like an 83B exclu- uh, uh, exemption uh, or election, excuse me. Um, but exercising your options early is for the purpose of, let's say you're getting company stock at $4 a share. You know, you can pay income tax. You, you have leeway to either pay income tax on that today uh, or you can wait until later when it's more certain that you're actually going to get it and it's transferable. Um, but when you elect to do it early, what you're doing is you can pay income tax based on that, let's say, $4 a share rather than waiting down the road to when this thing is $30 a share and then you're paying taxes on a much, much higher basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the downside of reporting early potentially is... You have to write that check, which is is not a good thing. And again, you're early on. Maybe the income isn't there to support it mm-hmm. uh, or whatever. Write a check to the, to the tax agency because you basically exercise. So you are responsible. The day you exercise, you're responsible for the difference between what it was issued at and what the fair market value is. Exactly. So in the, in the dot-com boom in 99, I'm totally dating myself, but there's a lot of people who are so confident they were doing early exercising and then they would write this big tax check or figured they'd have the money later, right. didn't have the money later and would, and the company stock went to zero and all of a sudden they owe uncle Sam $500,000 without the cash to pay it. So that's def- There's a huge risk in early exercising. If you don't have the cash, you definitely want to do it only if you have the cash, but it's a way to lock in your cost basis very low. Right. Right. And, and depending how you're getting paid out uh, and how bespoke those things can do, they can do them in different ways so that you can pen- potentially do some of it rather than all of it. So mm. you can even sort of hedge and, and take a, a little point. bit off the table or, or do just enough where you do have the cash to do it comfortably and not put yourself in a bad yeah. position. But, but that's a huge one. So if you lock in the cost basis, to use your example, at $4 a share and you early exercise and the stock goes to 30 Right. The difference is $26 a share, right? This is, this is, we're doing math live here on the podcast. Uh, right, right, right. And that $26 gain, you're only going to have to pay capital gains tax on. Right. And that's lo- probably long term capital gains if it's, it's a couple of years. Than a year, yeah. you're, you're, you know, depending on whatever. Let's, yeah. And what it, year you're listening to the podcast, you know, 15% <laughs> or 20%, or, you know, let's not talk about where it could go. But yeah. uh, as opposed to paying it as ordinary income, if it's inside of a year, uh, which is at your, you know, your, your ordinary income tax rate. So it might be like the difference between a 20% tax rate for long-term capital gains to like 35 or 40% at your normal income tax rate. That's a huge amount of money. You can do the math right. that saves you, you know, 20% or so oh, way more than, I mean, if you think about if you're reporting something, um, at your, you know, paying ordinary income tax of 40% on that is income. And then let's say somehow you exercise it within a year, you're going to pay ordinary income tax on the gain that you got yeah. from there. You're, you're paying double tax. And yeah. I mean, that can really eat into this massive liquidity event yeah. that, that you've been waiting for for a long time. So what's your core advice on that? Like wait until there's certainty and then early exercise? Yeah. Well, you made a great point with the cash flow. So this is where it depends on the person. Um, if your company does have traction and you know you think that um, there's going to be a liquidity event and this is going to be worth something, 
without a doubt, you're best off, you know, paying for that, uh, reporting that as income and paying tax on it as soon as you can. You run the risk if it goes to zero that you paid tax on something you didn't want, but that's going to put you in the best uh, situation. If you don't have the money to pay the tax on that in that year, um, then maybe some sort of intermediary play of, of doing some of it is, is probably probably your best bet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it depends on the person. But you know, minimizing these taxes is you know this can these bigger picture making sure you take these right steps can save you as much in taxes as you know the smartest investment guy is going to make for you on that money you know over the next five you know maybe 10 years depending on how well you're doing that's a great point so i you know if you're if you're successful enough to be in this situation it's fantastic and your priorities shift from trying to make a lot of money on your investments to just retaining what you've made right and that's why the taxes are so you know minimizing taxes where where possible obviously where legal yeah uh, is super important and i think you and i are both like our body language while we're recording this is make sure you consult a professional maybe yeah. brian stirs hopefully brian stirs that'd be great and make sure you are comfortable with the risk you're taking if you do an early exercise. Because again, I know people who did this in 1999 and lost a lot, lost their, you know, their whole net worth because they took the risk and the company went to zero and they owed a lot of taxes. So just be very, very careful with it. Yeah. And a lot of this comes down to, you know, difficult conversations you need to have, you know, in terms of this, um, and, and some other things we'll, we'll get to in a minute. But, um, you know, this is where when, when someone comes to me and you get these questions of what about the, you know, the, the wealth fronts, the betterments, you know, the, the robo advisor kind of things. And it's okay. You know, that's interesting. We can talk about business model things, but, um, you know, these kinds of decisions and things are, as I was saying, as material, if not more than, you know, what quote the market's going to get for you. And you better have someone that you really trust and walks you through each one of these levels before you even get to, what should I be investing in? Yeah. And that's that's at the very end of the plan. I have uh, a client I've been working with um, of late uh, who was referred to me, and um, yeah, he has a business doing very, very well. And now all of a sudden he has a lot of cash flow coming in and all of these things. And he came to me, and um, we started from the beginning. And it, it was a good five, maybe six weeks before we even got to the point of investing his dollars in things because we're taking care of all this blocking and tackling up front and making sure everything's in the right place before you start doing, you know, those things. So it's, it's a lot of work, but yeah. you know, it's, it's great to watch someone really get all of their X and X's and O's lined up and take all that risk off the table so they can focus on what they do. And then we can focus on what we do in terms of, you know, investing yeah. uh, in stocks and bonds. I love it. I love it. So we've got about 10 minutes here. So what's the, la- that last group of people you were talking about yeah. and what's, yeah. what's your advice for them? So, you know, throughout this progression now, you know, where you're looking at the founder, you got this, this really big liquidity event. <clears throat> These are, this is your company, your shares. Now you're going to really start talking about advanced estate planning sort of strategies. Uh, the different trusts and the family limited partnerships are huge. When you start talking to your CPAs and, and the trust and estate attorney, you're going to start looking at, and this is actually only for the next few months potentially, but valuation discount gifts and things you can do to effectively lower the basis on your business and, and again, sort of get it out of your estate, even though you know there, there's a lot of considerations there. But... Um, 
that's the first thing um, to make sure that where your share is going to go, what they're looking at. Uh, next is you know getting uh, into things like insurance and life insurance and things like this. Um, those are difficult decisions to have as well, but there's some very, very interesting things people can do with uh, insurance to make sure that you're taking a lot of risk off the table. And this is, there's death benefit kind of stuff, but there's income replacement strategies and, you know, different things to make sure that you're, you stay wealthy over time. Mm -hmm. That's the next piece. And then, you know, again, you've been investing this whole time, uh, taking some money off the table. You have that strategy. The next point I would make is that you want to be level-headed about what you're investing in because now you're you're having very soon a lot of money in your hands everyone's coming at you with different things to invest in i've seen this so many times with friends and or everyone has a car wash they want to start that needs 20 grand now everyone you know and uh everyone's got the latest and greatest um but there's also a desire by founders once they've done this Uh, scott you made a great point that um, they want to turn around and be investors themselves. And, and you know maybe they've seen people that invested in them and made a bunch of money on what they did and they want to do that as well. But I would say you need to keep that. Um, you know, you've taken a big risk, right? But you've, you've won. You've hit it. Your, your company's selling for a, a bunch of money. You've achieved your goals. You want to make sure that you keep all of that. So being careful of, of where these things are coming from, not that they're all malicious, but they're not all great investments. And you do want to work with someone who knows investments, who can really point these things out. Uh, another client I have uh, in this uh, same position was, well, Brian, I want to take some money and do this. I want to take this. And I got this other thing that you know yields 15%. That's great. Uh, and, I, and I said, let's slow down a minute. You know, I can, I can get you five publicly traded stocks that'll do that exact same thing without handing a check over to someone that you basically don't know. Yeah. Uh, and it's know, illiquid what, and you can't get the money back. And yeah. So not to say those things aren't good, but uh, you've been so focused on your company and building new things you haven't seen. And I'm not saying a public stock is, is the answer. I'm just saying that there's usually a much broader sphere of investments and things to look at than what's readily available to you or who happened to, you know, get to you to, to sell you on their yeah. thing. Yeah. What do you, we talked about kind of the LA ecosystem with all the angel investing now. It's, it's why it's coming alive. But, you know, if you were counseling a founder that had success, how much of their portfolio should they be thinking about with angel investing and, and private company investing? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's, there's different models out there. I would say, you know, on a, on a big dollar value, you can think of, you could probably include it in maybe uh, alternative investments. Mm-hmm. So maybe 20% of someone's portfolio could be to, to these kinds of things. Uh, I would say you probably want a few of those types of investments. It depends what they are. You know, if you're throwing money at pure startups that are no cash flow, you know, you know, blue sky kind of things, you probably want a, a whole bunch of those. If they're growth equity kinds of things, cash flow investments, you think about them differently. But I think that's a that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, between you know the other eighty percent, you know, if you can generate the income you need to live and, and live well. And you have a lot of risk off the table, then I think you know that's probably a, a good number. So something you said, just their alternatives portfolio would be twenty percent or so, and then probably angel investing would be a percentage of that because right. angel investing is super. We all know super risky. I really like. By the way, AngelList came out with this really awesome diversified approach for their two thousand seventeen funds yesterday, and it's like investing in hundreds of startups, which is really how you want to do it. Like. 
when I do angel investing, it's like laughable because I'm usually writing like a $10,000 check or sometimes even a $5,000 check, which in the big Silicon Valley world is nothing. But I know personally that I have to write smaller checks than the average investor so that I can still get diversification. And if you don't have like 10 or 15 angel investments, you're probably not getting the diversification you need and run the risk of losing all your money. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, You know, I think one step before that is... Uh, you know, founders are, are go-getters, right? You, you've worked really hard. You're go, go, go. You've been, you know, so focused on this and you haven't looked at anything else. So you, you get this reward and, you know, I've seen it so many times also so eager to, to get to the next thing, right? Uh, investing is a different beast. And when you've done it your whole life and you see it, it's one thing when it's new, you know, I, cause I get these questions all the time. It's, it's very different. So Scott makes a great point in that angel list is a great way to sort of, in a smart way, begin investing in angel investing, kind of see how it works, you know, get a realistic perf- perspective on how, how much, how often these things actually generate a return uh, and what that return expectation is, as opposed to, boy, I got a bunch of cash here. That sounds like a great startup. That guy down the street, here's, you know, 250 grand. Yeah. Because I just don't want to have that conversation with you in six months where it's like, oh, that didn't work out. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. You know. you've, you've also mentioned, you've just talked about this a lot throughout the podcast, what, the aspect of sales and financial yeah. products. And like, I think the audience should be aware that, you know, just in the same way you may have built an enterprise software company and you had a sales team and those people went out and found customers for, for your product. The same thing happens in financial services. And everyone's got a good way of presenting the data and everyone has kind of their spin on things and you just have to be really careful and really smart. And that's why I think working with a professional makes so much sense because they can help cut through a lot of that with you. Now, some questions you should ask your professional to make sure they're aligned with you. Like how does your professional get comp, right? Yeah. Like that's a really, 100%. really big key. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know what, what the, where someone's coming from, uh, what what they're incentivized to do, you know that that drives behavior, and that's not that anyone at these places are inherently bad. But when you're in a system where you're incentivized to sell things, um, those things are going to get sold, right? And that's not exactly advice. The rules have changed so that uh, they're now fiduciaries uh, in some respects, as as independents have been held to. Uh, for a very long period of time, but uh, yeah, how are you incentivized? Do you do you work on commission, or are you paid, you know, based on assets under management? Uh, what uh, commissions and things are you paid on the back end, uh, if at all? Um, you know, ask to see a track record. That's a great pitch that that these guys have. That look, everyone's different, and you know, uh, everyone's going to be invested in different things. There's something to that, but at the same time. Uh, you don't want different portfolios based on what's selling that day, right? Mm-hmm. So what is your what is the performance track record? What are you looking to do? Uh, how's the team structured? Are you is the person you're dealing with actually an investor at the firm, uh, or are they you know a salesperson you know mimicking something coming from someone else? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all just different ways of looking at it, but you want to put that stuff on the table. And most brokers at a bank. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of consistency. Two guys sitting next to each other at a desk may have vastly different portfolios. And so there might be a, a fancy name on the door, but it just comes down to, you know, who's you know savvy or not. And you're not going to know that. Yeah. So that's where track record's big. So do you prefer like the just percent of assets fee structure or what do you like? 
Yeah, so uh, that's what that makes the most sense to me. That's what our firm is based on. So we just manage assets uh, with a fee on those assets. The way I say it is, you know, we get a pay raise if your assets go up, and we take a pay cut if your assets go down. And if you're not happy, you can fire us at any time, and we lose that business. So from that standpoint, we're really fighting for you every day, and. Um, you know, all the value add services we provide, you know, I've helped startups get their first contracts. I've helped them, uh, introduce them to, you know, other investors. I've put them in touch with other post liquidity clients I have to give them advice. I'm doing all that to make sure my clients are happy as opposed to spending time trying to get them to make commissions. So that's where I've come from. And I think that's the best way out there. Um, you know that that things are done. The other option that that people might hear about is somewhere are paying hourly rates for kind of just advice, and they'll sort of tell you what to do on that basis. You know, I think you want to be working with someone who's incentivized to be engaged with you and be proactive with you, as opposed to something like that. Yeah, I would. I think the the fee per per assets makes total sense to me. It's the way the totally aligned. World works, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think it's how it should work. Yeah. on I side. Cool, man. Well, this has been very, there's a ton of knowledge dropped here. Maybe can you leave the audience with like a couple tips or like the kind of the high level advice you would give, like the, the big picture? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, high level, we didn't even talk about stocks and bonds and, and that's what, uh, you know, is at the heart of, of, you know, personal finance and investing over the long period of time. Uh, but really, you know, do think about the planning aspect of these things because it's more material than you think that it is. And by the time it really is an issue, you get to a liquidity event, you get to these things, you may have already, you know, missed these elections and things you could have done along the way or been investing along the way and get the power of compounding working for you that you can't get back, you know. So you'll probably hear on Scott's other podcasts about, you know, what would you have done differently if you had thought about things ahead of time before your your liquidity event or if you built your company differently, the same goes on the personal side. So get people that you trust around you um, that are going to grow with you and, uh, you know, think about it that way. And from the actual investing side, you know, if it seems like a bad idea, it probably is a bad idea. <laughs> and this is a whole nother podcast, but, um, you know, there's, there's no making money in the markets is hard. So... You know, your go-getters, your founders, your all these things, but don't be overconfident in this arena because, um, you know, protecting from those losses is way more important than getting, getting the gains when yeah. you're thinking about a long-term track record. That's really good advice. Can you tell, tell everyone where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my firm is called Miracle Mile Advisors. If you, uh, find me on the website, MiracleMileAdvisors.com, or you can reach me at, uh, Beasters. Uh, B-S-T-E-R-Z at MiracleMileAdvisor.com and then I'm not real creative on the social media so if it says Brian Stirs and there's a social media thing that's that's where to find me that's probably you that's me Uh, thank you so much for coming by this is a lot of knowledge a lot of good advice really appreciate it Lauren you've done very well from yourself it's uh, it's great to see you it's it's fun to to do this thanks man I appreciate it All right, take care bye bye